Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast podcast. We want to extend an invitation to sit in live with us during our weekend service. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message inspires you, but also challenges you in your walk with God. For more information, visit our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. Now here's Pastor Marco with an encouraging word. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to continue what we began last week, talking about God wants you to be happy. And, uh, and his, his word is full of happiness and joy. And uh, I just want to remind you, last week we began to talk about this book called Philippians. Uh, this man, Paul, used to travel to preach the gospel, and he would plant churches in cities. So he planted this church in a city called Philippi, which is modern-day Greece. And now, two years later, he finds himself in another city called Rome. You know, all the Italians in the house. Any Italians in the house? No? No Italians? No World Cup fever? For They didn't make the World Cup, so stay quiet. They didn't make it. They weren't good enough. Um, but he finds himself in jail, and he writes this letter filled with joy, which we talked about last week, that your happiness cannot be confined to a circumstance. It has to be deeper than that. And I just want to begin by just doing a little recap from last week that Paul says that he rejoices in all situations and circumstances because he knows who holds his life. And it's not a jail cell. It's not people. Amen? And so last week, uh, the recap was this. I want to just go right into that. No, the, go to the summary from last week, which is the, after this one. Paul says happiness is deeper than circumstances. You must have eternal perspective if you're going to have a happy life. You must know and love Jesus because Jesus is the end to happiness. He's not a means to an end. We're not worshiping Jesus to get something else. Jesus is the point, right? Living for Jesus, right, because Paul to him is a lifestyle. It's not just something that we do on Sunday. It's what we do every day. And then leading people to Jesus. There's no greater joy than to help other people get to know this Jesus. Can you say amen? So we're going to add to that today in chapter 2. We are a teaching church, so I hope you come ready to take notes and, and, and grow because uh, the way that God operates is he will have a message, but each one of us have to unpack this message. Each one of us have to say, now, God, how do you want me to apply this to my life so I can see the results? Can you say amen? And so Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. We're going to read the first five verses in Philippians 2. It says this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in this spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy. Here's that word, happy again. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Verse 3 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Sit down. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Can you say amen? So I want to title this message today, if you're taking notes, Happiness is a Group Project. Tell your neighbor, I need you. And don't get it twisted, you need me too. 
Happiness is a group project. Remember in school when we used to have group projects? Remember those days? Not long ago, Miss Ayel sent me this amazing picture of a group project. And I want to show you this. If the people who never contribute had to work together on the same project. Because you know in a group project, there was always that person who didn't do anything. But when it came to the picture, they were like right there with you. So if all those people got together, this is what their project would look like. It would look like nothing. Because he who contributes nothing gets nothing, right? And I appreciate Mr. L for sending me this. By the way, he sends me this stuff every day. Uh, and, I, and I tell you something. You want to be happy, you need friends who just keeps you laughing. You know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. So we have made a decision. I don't know if we made a decision, but indirectly we did. That we're going to keep feeding that 12-year-old in us who just laughs at stupid things. You know, every day. There's not a day that goes by, right, that we don't have something that we're sharing. Like, this is a day, this is hilarious. You know, and, and, uh, and I'm sure if our wife's seen it, they'll be like, you guys, are, something's wrong with you. And I, I have a few guys in the church like that. They, you know, I don't know if it's a drummer thing, but, you know, there's a, another drummer in our church in East Greenwich. He's always sending me the stuff. I don't know if drummers have the best sense of humor. Um, get, up, get around some drummers in your life. Maybe you'll have more happiness. But we all need people like that because life can get so serious. Sometimes, I mean, I'm in, I'm in the office dealing with something serious, and I get this text from Mr. <laughs> something really dumb, and it just makes me laugh, and he reminds me, don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. Tell your neighbor, relax. Take a chill pill. We need you to relax. But life, my friends, life is a group project. Unless you're going to live in an island with a friend named Wilson, we need each other. The reason why he had Wilson, because he needed somebody to talk to. And when Wilson went astray, it was sad. You guys know what I'm talking about? The movie Castaway? You need to watch good movies, people. Come on. Any movie with Tom Hanks, someone is going to die. Have you noticed that? Captain Phillips, you know. Okay, I'll just, I'll just move on. But life is a group project. We affect each other deeply. I think, I think your happiness is my happiness. You know, I, I mean that. When we celebrate these praise reports, it's our happiness. When we see someone get a new house, we all celebrate. We all thank God. When someone gets a breakthrough, we all thank God. Yesterday, I went to go spend some time with Pastor Steve. That's a miracle. We thank God for his life. You know. And it was awesome. We, we laughed. We cried together yesterday. And we thank God for the church because everybody stepped up and prayed. And literally, it was a miracle. Even the doctors were like, someone was looking out for you. You know? And, and so all of us rejoice when someone else is doing well. Can you say amen? So we need each other. And, and I think it's pretty obvious that our society right now is extremely divided. You know, it's a sad reality that, that we're divided by pol- politics right now. We're divided by race. We're divided by religion. We're divided by social economic statuses. It's a really sad reality. And I, and I want you to know this morning that if we're not careful, the enemy will love to divide the church too. The, the enemy will love to get in here 
I mean, when I say the church, I mean the capital C church. You know, because we're just a small fraction of the big church. But, but the, the enemy would love to come and divide a good thing. He would love to come and separate us by things, like I said last week, that are trivial, not things that are vital. And so we have to be careful that we don't fall prey to the lies of the enemy. Because we have a God who wants you to be happy, and we have an enemy who will do anything to rob that happiness from you. Can you say amen? amen. This particular church in this city in Philippi was, was dealing with some things that would have caused division within them. And Paul was trying to write this letter to encourage them to bind together, to not let the trivial things get in the way of the vital things. A couple of things that I want to highlight to you that this church was dealing with. Number one is they were dealing with some false teaching. Paul said, you know, the gospel is Jesus Christ coming in the flesh to die for your sins. And he rose again to give you new life. But there's always somebody else who will try to teach you something else. Right? And so they were dealing with some false teachers who were saying, yeah, but you need to be circumcised and you need to be, you know, keeping the law. And, and once in a while, you're going to get people who are not free in Jesus who are always trying to tell you another gospel. So you have to be careful not to let just any voice come into your life. You have to discern the voice of God from the voice of the enemy and be able to say, wait a minute, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to go backwards. I'm going to keep going forward in Jesus and everything that he's done for my life. Can you say Amen. So we have to be careful with false teachings because there are such things, unfortunately. We live in a fallen world where people will have many opinions. If you don't believe me, go on Facebook today. You know, everybody's a theologian nowadays. Everybody seems to have a PhD in anything <laughs> that they never studied. Isn't it true? We have politicians. We, have theolo- we, have, we even have doctors. People will tell you how to heal, <laughs> you know, who, who themselves have a disease, who hasn't been cured. You know, it, it's, like, it's, it's like the fortune teller who hasn't got rich. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like if you're a fortune teller, why haven't you gotten rich yet? <laughs> why are you telling me my fortune? Shouldn't you be getting rich? You know, are, are you tracking with me? There's always going to be opinions, and so it's, it's important that we discern the will of God. From the will of the enemy. The second thing that we're dealing with, there were some relationship tensions going on within the church. Now, Paul doesn't specify what those tensions were, right? He just says, if you read the whole thing, he says, hey, I need you guys to work together, right? And I'm glad he didn't say what those tensions were because it could be anything. It could be anything. I've seen it be any little thing can, can throw people off the mission, right? If you're not paying attention, the, the, the little things become the big things, right? Someone didn't say hi to me could become a big thing, right? Someone didn't call me could become a big thing, right? Someone took my seat could become a big thing, right? I always park right here. This parking is anointed. You know, so any little thing could become a thing if we're not focused on the mission. So Paul, in chapter 2, he focuses on saying, let's talk about unity. Let's talk about working together because your happiness is my happiness, and vice versa. Can you say amen? And so, and so in order to be happy, we have to understand what we're dealing with and how we are meant to play a role in each other's lives. Last week, chapter 1 could be summarized like this. If you, chapter 1, he says, listen, you can have joy despite circumstances, which means have a single-minded in life. That, listen, Jesus is my Lord. I don't care what comes my way. My mind is made up. I'm going to follow Jesus. You know, like the old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. You know, the cross before me, the world behind me. There's something powerful when your mind is made up. 
Now, that could be either way. Your mind could be made up for something positive, and your mind could be made up for something negative. Some people will walk in here, their mind's already made up. They don't want to receive Jesus, so they have their mind made up. You, you cannot convince people who already have their mind made up. But the positive side of that is true too. If your mind is made up about Jesus, nobody can talk you out of his will and his purpose for your life. So in chapter 2, Paul is saying, listen, you can have joy despite people. Now here, here's where it's going to get interesting, church. If you want to be happy... You have to not let people control you, but you have to understand this, that people do play a role in your life. So it's one thing to have a single mind when it comes to yourself, but when it comes to dealing with people, you have to have a submissive mind. Now, this is what I'm saying. This is we're teaching church. We've got to teach this thing. To have a submissive mind is critical to have a happy life. I want to remind you the word submission means the word permission. Right? Permission means I give you permission to speak into my life and vice versa. Okay? Without permission, there's always going to be some kind of a blockage there. Right? And I want to tell you right now, the reason why some marriages don't work is because of lack of submission to each other. Because, because when I get married, I did another wedding yesterday. Man, I love that we're having married at weddings like every other week. And it's awesome. Congratulations to Felipe and Kirsten that got married yesterday. <laughs> But here's the thing, after the goo goo gaga eyes, you know, because it, it is, my, I believe this, I'm a preacher. When I do weddings, no one is paying attention. That's what we do in short. Ain't no one cares. They're just saying words. In that moment, you're nervous. Your emotions are all over the place. But then you got to remember, you did make a vow. Right? That moment means nothing if that vow doesn't carry through when it's time, when the rubber meets the roadies. Are we in this thing together? Are we going to give each other permission to work on each other's lives? Because it's a constant sleepover. (laughs) It's an everyday sleepover. It's one thing to date and then go away. Now you're like, I got to sleep... And the way you squeeze your toothpaste, <laughs> nobody tell you about that in marriage. Why is your boxes all over the place, fellas? There better be some serious permission and submission if these marriages are going to make it, right? And so happiness requires a submissive mind because when I'm happy, you're happy. And when you're happy, I'm happy, Right? So Paul is saying, listen, it takes, here's what it takes, church. I pray you understand this because we never talk about this stuff when we talk about happiness. It takes humility to be happy. It takes serious humility to be happy. See, we get humility wrong. We think humility means I'm weak. I'm vulnerable. Everybody takes advantage of me. That's not what humility is. It takes more strength. To be humble than to be prideful. It takes zero strength to be prideful. It takes zero strength to keep fighting. Because there's no negotiations going on for us to reach an agreement. It's easy for me to just say I'm right and you're right. And we're both right but we're both wrong. Come on, talk to me. 
that it, relationships goes nowhere that way. And isn't it sad? Two people who love each other will not submit to each other but stay miserable in their homes. Because we won't submit to each other. Because we won't humble ourselves. C.S. Lewis said humility is this way. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. There's a difference there. You can be confident and humble. Because confidence means I know who I am. And I know what I bring to the table. And no one can take that away from me. I'm not worried about being taken advantage of when I know who I am. We follow Jesus, right? Jesus, in his confidence, could serve anyone because he knew nothing can take away from who I am. Matter of fact, it's because he knows who he is that he can serve anyone. See, no one is beyond Jesus and no one is beneath Jesus. Why? Because he knows who he is. And that's what happens when you embrace Jesus. That same confidence should come upon us. That nothing is beneath us and nothing is beyond us. Why? Because we know who we are in Christ. And no one can take that away from us. In another book that Paul wrote, the book to the church in Rome, he said this about humility. And it's powerful. Paul said, because of the privilege and the authority has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. I love that line. Listen, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. That's humility. Right? Because pride manifests itself in two ways. Pride makes you think you're superior, which is where racism comes from. People think they're better than other people. Or pride comes in inferiority when we think we're less than other people. It's both pride because both are keeping us from being who God has created us to be and from seeing others the way God wants us to see them. Anytime we see people less than the way that God sees them, there's some pride in there. We may think we're better than them or we might think that that they're better than us. Neither one is God's will. God's will is for us to have serious evaluations of ourselves to say, I know who I am and I know what I bring to the table. That's humility, and that's, a, that's lacking in our society. It's lacking in our politicians. It's a lack of humility on both sides. Why? Because I don't know about you, but we elected them to serve the people, not to serve themselves. Politicians are prideful. Right? It's a lack of humility in a lot of our teachers. Because instead of serving the kids, they're serving themselves. Right? And we say, why is the education system Terrible, because people are not willing to have a serious evaluation to say, what do I bring to the table, and why am I here? And we can go deeper. There's a lack of humility in the church, where people are not willing to just be who God called them to be and to serve in whatever capacity that God called them to serve. When I read scriptures, I never see God say, hey, I called you to be a worship leader. I called you to be a preacher. I called you to be a president. No, God says, I called you to serve. Now, you may serve as a worship leader. You may serve as this or that. I called you to serve. There's always a, a lack of humility when people say, well, this is not my calling. What, what is your calling? When I read scriptures, I see that our calling is to serve one another. And when I'm doing that, I'm doing God's will. 
Now that might change because God, God has different callings in our lives. We're not going to always do the same exact thing, but our hearts is the same. No matter what I'm doing, it's God's will. Can you say amen? I'm going to say it again. We're not doormats, but we're willing vessels. Jesus was not a doormat. He said, I give my life willingly. See, a lot of times you hear people say, I don't have to go to church to follow Jesus. You're right. I don't have to go to church. I willingly go to church. There's a difference. There's a difference. Right? We're not doormats. We're willing vessels. Paul says, have the same mind that Jesus had. Paul was saying is, your attitude should be like Jesus' attitude. If you're going to follow the man, be like the man. If you're going to follow him, then reflect who he is. If you're taking notes, write this down. Outlook determines outcome. Your outlook will always determine the outcome. Right? Let me, let me, let me clarify that. Warren Worsby said this in his commentary on the book of Philippians. He says, listen, if the outlook is selfish, the actions will be divisive and destructive. It's all about the outlook. Right? It's all about what, how am I bringing something to the table. Going back to marriage, what's my outlook in marriage? What's my outlook as a parent? What's my outlook as a worker tomorrow morning when I go to work? Because God is a God of Mondays. And I think the greatest lesson in life is what we do when no one else is watching. What's my outlook? Because I don't do it to impress others. I do it to the glory of God. And as I glorify God, God is blessing my life. Outlook determines outcome. That's why I tell people, please don't beg anyone to serve. Because they will mess this thing up. Right? Like, we have great people serving our kids right now, but I pray they do it with a willing heart. Because if not, they're going to jack up our kids. Right? So, so we don't have to serve. We get to serve. That, that's different. Right? Outlook determines outcome. Let me, let, me, let me contrast this with the two biggest characters in this story. Of life, Jesus being one, and the opposite of Jesus being Satan. We don't talk about Satan much, but I'm going to talk about him today. Because I believe this, we're either becoming more like Jesus, or we're becoming more like Satan. Now you're like, I don't worship Satan. Yeah, but your characteristics. I'm talking about your characteristics. Right? We're either drawing closer to God, or we're drawing closer to something else. And I don't care who you are. People say, I'm not religious. Yeah, but your outlook in life tells me who you're following, right? Because Jesus here, Paul says, man, be like Jesus, who was willing to humble himself, to submit himself to the will of God, to the purpose of God, even to the point of dying on the cross. Jesus was willing to be a servant. Satan refused to be a servant. I'm going to prove it to you today. Jesus was the creator, willing to become a man. Lucifer wanted to be the creator. Let's be real for a second, right? We're going to go deep because I really feel like we need to go deeper. The reason why most people don't want to follow God, don't want to go to a church building, is because they're not willing to submit themselves to the will of God. They'll make all the excuses in the world, but they don't want to submit to say, I'm wrong, God, and you're right, and I want to live my life according to your will. 
Now we can make all the excuses in the world. The church has hypocrites. The church has this and all that. But at the end of the day, are we willing to submit our lives to the will of God and the purpose of God, the plans of God, the desires of God, or are we willing to be more like the other guy? That's what it comes down to. I want to show you this. In Isaiah, we get a prophetic revelation of what happened in heaven because we don't have all the full story, but we get glimpses of it. Isaiah tells you, here's what happened when Satan, which by the way, he was an angel. God created him beautiful, the Bible says. And he took his free will and decided, I want to be something else. And look, this is a prophetic word about what happened to Satan. Look, how you have fallen from heaven. Oh, shining star. He was a star. He was an angel, a beautiful creature. Son of the morning. You have been thrown down to earth. You who destroy the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, watch this. Watch how many times you can see the word, I will. I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heaven and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, which is another word for hell. Down to his lowest depths. That's the enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's working in your life right now to make you more like him and less like the God that created you. This is why this is so critical that you understand. See, Jesus' humility is a rebuke to Satan's pride. And when you humble yourself to God, you are rebuking the spirit of pride from you. That's why the Bible says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Because if you keep reading Philippians 2, he says, because Jesus was willing to humble himself, then God exalted him above all names. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus' humility is a rebuke to say, well, there's a lot of movement going on. Talk about pride and humility. People get weird. <laughs> we can become more like Jesus or we can become more like Lucifer. That's, that's, the, that's, that's, there's no neutrality, by the way. People are like, I'm neither. No, when you're neither, you made a decision. Right. We're either becoming more like Jesus or we're becoming more like the enemy. Right? That's why the Bible tells us that happiness is a group project. We need each other. We need to understand that we're in this thing together, that no one is better than the other, right? That we're all pushing towards the same thing. I want to give you some examples here in scriptures. Again, if you're taking notes, write these down so you can study it for yourself because I really feel strongly about this. I was talking to Pastor Steve about this yesterday. The church needs to grow deeper. We can't have shallow saints. We need to have deep people who understand the word of God, who can understand when the enemy is coming at them. So we don't just have positive vibes, but no deep roots to keep us when the things come and we can't handle anything. It's important that we grow our roots deep. The Bible says this. Look, let me give you some examples. The Bible, look, it's a group project. The Bible says we have to prefer one another, to edify one another, to bear each other's burdens, not to judge one another but to admonish one another. This is just a few examples of how it's a group effort for us to be happy, to be the people that God has created to be. Can you say amen? But you see, he said, be like Jesus. He said, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. This is where it gets interesting, church. To be like Jesus, it must cost us something. It costs Jesus' life to follow God. And my concern in American church 
is that no one wants to pay any price. Can I be honest with you? Positive vibes is not Christianity. Positive vibes is just positive vibes. What happens when the positive vibes is not there? What do we do? We need an anchor for our souls. And we need to reflect this person named Jesus. Can you say amen? I love this quote that I read this week. It said this. It said, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. If it doesn't cost us anything, we're not accomplishing anything. We're like those people who got together in the group project and did absolutely nothing. A submissive mind, please write this down, does not avoid sacrifice. Jesus was willing to sacrifice. He was submissive to the will of God for the good of others. And if you're taking notes, the goal of a Christian is to live for God's glory and the good of others. Sacrifice and service go together if service is to be a Christian ministry. What does it take? If you're taking notes, it takes three things from all of us. It takes time, talent, and treasure. Those are the three things that God has given us to use for his glory and to help others. Your time, your talent, and your treasure is what's going to cost you. People make time for what's important to them. Let's not lie to ourselves. When we say we don't have time, we're saying that's not important to me. We make time for the things that are important to us. Everybody has a talent. The Bible says how you're going to use that talent. Are you going to use it to glorify God or are you going to do it, use it to edify yourself? Have you noticed most talented musicians and singers grew up in the church? Go study it for yourself. All of them gifted by God. At some point, they make the decision. I'm going to use this to bless people or I'm going to use this to bless myself. I'm either going to become more like Jesus or I'm going to become more like Satan. That's the reality. It doesn't matter how many times you thank God and praise God with your lips when you get in a word, but your life is not reflecting God. It doesn't matter. It has to be a lifestyle. The more is the thing with the Bible. The more we give, the more we receive. That's the paradox. It it rubs against the grain of our culture. The culture says just give me, give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. Give me. The Bible says, give and you will receive. There's a boomerang effect on the will of God. The more I bless you, the more it's going to come back to me. And Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. But he knew the secret. The more you're giving, the more you're going to receive. And, and here's the secret. That's where joy lies. You don't know you're happy until you bless somebody else and you find yourself being happy for blessing somebody else. Those who serve know what I'm talking about. There's this beautiful thing that when we go serve the homeless, if something happens that we come back more happy than they are because we understand, man, I'm blessing you. It's coming right back to me. You will never know that until you actually bless somebody. This is not a theory. This is a lifestyle. So I want to challenge us today, church. The church of Jesus Christ, the capital C church, has no free agents. Right now, it's not a day goes by that I don't hear something about where's LeBron going to play. Where's he going to go? So, <laughs> someone has a lot of faith. A lot of faith for the Celtics. Here's the thing. When it comes to the church, there are no free agents. God calls us to serve tangibly, tangibly. 
Not to just say we are, but to show that we are. Right? As, as people of God, we do what's best for the team. Not what's best for me. Because when I do what's best for the team, we all win. This is a team effort. This is a team game. It takes more than my, me, myself, and I to win in the game of life. Can you say amen? And we all get to play in the game by serving. The good thing about the team that God is putting together, there's a styring lineup for everybody. God doesn't believe in bench players. Everybody has a role to play in this, in this game of Christianity. You know, and again, I, I'm, 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 I'm praying and believing for the church that we understand that just because you showed up today does not mean you're doing God's will. I don't know if you've noticed yet, but we're not concerned with just having people. We're concerned with having people who are getting the heart of God and doing the will of God and doing the purpose of God. So God has given us many ways to come together so we can accomplish more. Right? Many ways. I want to simplify it, just showing you clearly. Listen, Sundays is for us to come together. And we're better off when we come together. We're better off when we serve together. We're better off when we, when we say, you know what? Yeah, I could have been an IHOP or IHOB, whatever they're going to call it now. But I choose to go get fed spiritually. I choose to go be with the people of God. Yeah, I could say, I don't need to go to church. But guess what? I get to go to church. I, I get to worship with other believers. I get to be with other people. And I pray you show up every week because every week there's something unique that God is doing in our midst. I believe this. I've been doing this for 20 years straight. I don't miss church. Way before I had the pastor title in front of my, my, my name, I've always believed I should be with the people of God. And I always believe I should serve in a tangible way. I've served in greeting. I've served in welcoming. I've served in media. I've served doing worship. Believe it or not, I used to lead worship like Kirk Franklin. If you know who Kirk Franklin is, you're an old school Christian. I tell people what to sing. Say, now say this. Because I can't sing, but you can. We can join in. I drove the church van. It's whatever it takes, people. We're not doing this for titles. We're not doing this for gimmicks. We're doing this because we love Jesus and we love people. That's why we do this. Did you know we have incredible ministry teams that anyone can serve in? Like, we don't believe you have to be a LeBron to serve. (laughs) We don't believe you have to be on a mic to serve. My conviction is if Jesus said, stop preaching, then I stop preaching. It doesn't make me. It doesn't define me. Jesus does. Jesus says, go clean the bathroom. I'll do it. Because Jesus is who I'm supposed to be focusing on and doing his will. Nothing is beneath me when I know who I am in Jesus Christ. Nothing. I tell you right now, church... We have incredible opportunities to serve our city, to show the love of Jesus. We believe this. When we planted this church, that this church would be a tangible representation of Jesus. Not some people who just get together on a Sunday. That's why we keep adding ways to serve the city. In homeless shelters, in veterans' homes, in youth homes. And guess what? All we need is more people to say amen. That's all we need. 
Did you know this? Every week, all of us have the same amount of hours available. Every month, I looked it up. We have <laughs> 730 hours in a month. No one has more or less. All of us, 730 hours in a month. Can I take two hours? Two hours of a 730 hours to say, Lord, two hours to go help somebody, to go be with somebody, to go bless somebody. Two hours. I don't want to make us feel guilty. I want us to take charge. To say, this is who I'm created to be. I help people. Two hours out of 730 hours. And how much of that 730 hours is spent in absolutely garbage? Let's be honest. Some of us have ministries in Netflix. Come on, church. It's time we go a little bit deeper and take a little bit more ownership to say, man, it's amazing to me. My prayer for this church from the beginning has always been, God, help us to break the 20-80 ratio. You know what the 2080 ratio is? They say in any given company, organization, business, church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I pray in Jesus' name we break that and we reverse that. Let's be honest. It's nice to walk in here at 930 and everything is set up. I'm just going to worship the Lord. Not realizing two hours earlier, there were people who showed up to make sure all these things were in place. I don't get a lot of dreams. I don't get a lot of prophetic dreams, but I've had a couple of nightmares about church. And each one has, has, has been about having a big church, but with people who I knew it absolutely nothing. And he woke me up in deep sleep, like, you know, sweating, like, this is not God's will. Just to say we went to a building? What are we going to tell Jesus when we get to heaven? Hey, I went to the building. When he shows you his cars, his sacrifice, what are we going to show back? We ought to have some sacrifices in us. We ought to have some scars in us. We don't want to serve the, 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 the cup. We're not, we don't do it for us. You know how much work it is? How much easier to be like, let's just do the church thing. We have no idea who's going to show up. But you know how people show up? If all of us put in the work to invite people, to pray for people, to get out of our comfort zone, to say, come to this thing, come get blessed, bring your family, bring your friends, bring your loved ones, because we want heaven to be richer and we want hell to be poorer. We want to see more people come to know Jesus. And as a pastor, man, I've got to be honest with you, it burns me up when we put on these things and the people of church don't show up. Because we have better things to, whatever those better things are. I don't know what they are. Because I don't know anything else. I might be an idiot. Because I think this is the most important thing we will ever do with our lives. This is the most important thing we will ever do. With our lives. 730 hours in a month. You know how long a church service is? About an hour and 20 minutes. That's it. And we only get to do it once a week. Once a week. 
I was at Walmart yesterday. A woman was trying to help me, and all of a sudden she goes, that voice, I know that voice. It was an older lady. I was helping her. She didn't know what an AirPod was. I was like, come, I'll show you. Open this thing. <laughs> Give me that. And she's like, I know that voice. I'm like, where do you know that voice from? She said, Keith Middle School. I said, yeah, you got it. Now, here's the part that was the best. She goes, you know what? When my daughter doesn't go to your church, she's a witch. I said, that's the best church advertisement I've ever heard. Because we're better together. That's why you have to discern the voice of the enemy. Tell you, no, you're good. Why go? You need to relax this Saturday. The more you relax, the more I got you. The more you take a step back, the more I take over your family. Don't you? We got to wake up, people. If you're not in the game, you're losing. You're losing your family. You're losing your heritage. And now and then you say, my kids don't want to do anything. Where do you think you got it from? I'm always amazed when people are like, come talk to my kid. It's like, yeah, I could talk to your kid, but he sees you every day. When you're in the church complaining about how church always wants money and your kid is hearing this stuff and is getting on him and then he doesn't know what it means to be generous. We got to be active people. We got to be active. They say one of the major issues in America is, is people being overweight, which is a big issue. There's a lot of things that goes with that. But I see in the spirit, there's a lot of overweight Christians who are not active. Actively doing the will of God. Actively actually participating in what God is doing on this earth. And posting on Facebook is not being active. We got to have faith that has legs. We have faith that has hands. Faith. Because that's happiness. That's happiness. When Saturday comes around and we put on this event and people who've never been to a church event comes, that puts a smile on my face. Because it's like, that's it. That's why we do it. We do it to see others being blessed. We do it to see others being blessed. And the more people get in the game, the more we can accomplish. I know we can accomplish more. And it doesn't take much. It just takes us taking that 20% and inch it to 30 and then to 40 and then to 50. Right? And then, and then next thing you know, the people who are not doing anything will just stand out like a sore thumb. Because all of us are meant to be active. When Jesus called his church a body, he meant a living body. Right? The only time a body doesn't move is when it's dead. And we're supposed to be alive doing the will of God. And as we're doing it, you see the joy come over you. You see the peace come over you. You see your family blessed. You see your kids blessed. You see your finances going up. Why? Because you're putting God first. And God is faithful to take care of all of his children when we put him first. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to connect with us, you can find us at newlifesouthcoast.com for any further information.